real estate marketing webinar. And today we're talking about all things real estate and how it can apply to your industry. Um, today we're joined by Dan from Denny Elwell Company in the commercial real estate space and Kelsey from Remax Precision up in Ankeny um, talking about residential uh, real estate. So today we're going to be talking about some different types of ways that the industry is applying to um, other types of industries with marketing and some of the things you guys are seeing with your respective industries. So we're also joined with George and Mark, partners at Applied Art, and Shanna Quinn, our business development manager. Um, if you are seeing any things that are popping up in the chat, feel free to throw them in there and we will get to them and answer your questions live here and try and uh, help you guys as much as we can. So real quick here, I'm going to stop sharing. Hopefully everybody can see here. Um, but let's just introduce here quick, Dan, if you want to tell the folks a little bit about who you are and what you do, and we can kind of go from there. Yeah, my name is Dan Corrin. I work at Denny Elwell Company. We're a commercial real estate uh, full service brokerage. Uh, we do property management, uh, landlord acquisitions, uh, dispositions, uh, basically anything that you can, you can name in the commercial world, uh, we, we dabble in. Awesome. And we've also got Kelsey. Kelsey, feel free to introduce yourself. Tell us who you are and what you do. Hi, everyone. Kelsey Russell here. I am at Remax Precision, and my company name is The Cornerstone Collective. Um, we do residential real estate, so we do everything from selling houses, buying houses, you know, small-scale, multifamily properties, um, and then built-to-suit custom-built homes as well. Awesome. And thanks, guys, for getting on the call. I know this was a little bit last minute for you guys, so you guys are really saving the day here by helping us keep the program rolling here. So um, one of the questions we were talking about just before we got started um, was some of the things that we're seeing with this whole COVID-19 and how it's applying to your guys' day-to-day -day interactions. So Kelsey, do you want to kind of start and kind of let us know what, what this is doing for your day-to-day -day and how it's affecting how you interact with your clients? Yeah, so I mean, for me, it's just been a big shift to digital. Um, I think that with showings and buyers, you kind of have to be in person. So that's just a lot of, you know, PPE type of things, you know, gloves, hand sanitizer. I feel like the backseat of my car is always just filled with all the, you know, booties and all the things. But so we're just keeping people safe. Um, I think some people are a little more aware than others as with everything. So you just have to be, you know, sensitive to who you're dealing with. I made an executive decision and stopped meeting with certain clients and kind of made that call for them. Um, I had a couple that was 88 when this first started and I just don't want that on my conscience. Um, so that's kind of, you know, I think our whole brokerage kind of made those decisions and people in the real estate industry in general, you know, we had really strong support from our lobbyists, um, basically saying we are essential. And I think that we got that support because they know that we're going to be smart about it. Um, and so for me personally, like the marketing side of it was just, you know, we're going to keep you safe. We're going to keep you protected on the buy side. And then on the selling side, this is the best time ever to sell your house. Um, even in the last couple of years, you do have to be conscious. I mean, there's no inventory. There's no inventory at any price point. I've had people put in an offer $10,000 above list price because it was listed, you know, not great. There was value there. I think it would appraise and they still lost it. And there were seven other offers first day on market. So that's kind of in that 200 and under price point, um, 200 to 450, you know, you're the big thing there is there's just no inventory anywhere. Even the builders are, you know, we have one fifth of the inventory that we had in 2008. So the builders are putting a lot of lots in a lot of new starts. Um, you know, being conscious of how many trades are in homes at a time so that we can keep going and people aren't going to be affected by COVID. Um, but 
that's the big thing is just sellers know it's a good time to sell as long as they understand they might have some issues with finding what they want to buy. So it's just, it's a really, it's a really strong point of mind. Like let's find what you want to buy and then list it because your house will sell quickly if it's a good price plan, a good area. For sure. And I think it's interesting too. You said this is one of the best times to sell, which is kind of contradictory that most people would think they'd, you know, try to hold off on a big decision. Why do you think some of those things are happening in, in the residential space with it being such a huge decision and people yeah. like, what, what do you think is causing some of those things? Well, I mean, the interest rates have been all over the board. So, but they're steadily low. I mean, at the end of the day, you look at, I mean, I've had a lot of people ask about, you know, is our economy taking or all these things happening? Cause you see what the markets are doing and it's like real estate is holding strong. You know, we have 3% appreciation on the residential side on average, and it's a little lower than that. But the thing is, people are paying more than what your market value of your home is and appraisers are appraising it because there's so many people willing to pay it and it has that demand. So I feel like, you know, people are willing to sell because they know they're going to get the most they've ever gotten out of their house. And they know that they have the buying power to make up for if they have to pay a little bit more on what they're buying. The rates are the biggest thing. I think the real estate industry as a whole would be really, really, really hurting if we did not have low rates when this started. Sure. Awesome. Dan, how about you on, on the commercial side? What's been some of the biggest adjustments you guys have had to make with the, since the whole start of the pandemic? Yeah. So um, definitely uh, technology is, is one thing that uh, commercial real estate definitely lags a, a lot behind the residential side in. Uh, so adjusting to technology, uh, adapting new processes, uh, wandering through the, the different things that uh, your webinars have definitely helped uh, others uh, like us uh, navigate. Uh, but technology in a, in a uh, uh, organization is, is usually dictated by your customers and, and then your salespeople. And, and in, in this industry, it, it has been a lot of paper and a lot of face-to-face. Uh, -face. So when we saw people not getting on airplanes, that means that your clients aren't coming to you. So uh, in commercial, uh, a lot of people like to go and tour the locations, but we're just not finding that. So how do you effectively uh, show a space to somebody virtually? How do you um, share a vision uh, that just isn't there or can't be explained in photographs? So adopting some new things is, is probably uh, one, of the, um, one of the biggest keys with commercial real estate. And luckily, I have a background that allows me to do that. So I'm happy to share that expertise with my, uh, my uh, coworkers as well as anyone that gives me a call. So um, <clears throat> I was curious, how do you guys generate leads? And then has that changed uh, with the current environment? I know that I have to pull this statistic up quick because it just baffled me. Um, so online lanes have increased over 400% since COVID started in residential. And that's just a general, you know, National Realtor Association statistic. But for me, it's a lot of just my own marketing. I'm very, I'm a very big fan of just posting one thing a day, showing something related to real estate. I don't think that in residential, you have to reinvent the wheel. I think you just have to be top of mind. And in this market, it's a lot of posting everything that's sold because you know, on the buy side, and I make it a point to say it's a buyer sold 
property because people are losing out on so many houses that when they see a realtor that, oh, they're getting their clients the house that they want. That's really powerful in this market. Um, but at the end of the day, for me, it's just being consistent, being top of mind daily and a very short snippet. I think we all know that people's attention span is very minimal these days. So I think the, the shorter, the better and the more consistent, um, the better. Is that primarily on social media? Yeah, I would say 90% of my leads come directly from social. I probably only have 10% referral business. People come directly to me. Interesting. So in commercial, we get most of our leads through um, the hottest leads that I'll, I'll say are our signs. So our signs posted on properties, that's where we receive the hottest leads, the best uh, phone calls, uh, the best emails uh, inquiring about properties. Uh, the second uh, form that we get uh, our, our leads is through a commercial MLS system where anybody across the country can search for properties, uh, see what they are, uh, the, see the details. A lot of our, our customer base uh, for retail, industrial, um, uh, even office is all dictated about location, statistics, traffic counts, uh, you know, where, where their clients or, or their customers or their uh, uh, employees work. So uh, trying to get a pin closest to those people uh, or population centers. So um, those are the, the, the two biggest uh, lead uh, sources for commercial, uh, just based on who's looking. Um, and then uh, I'll tell you that, that uh, uh, for us, um, networking out in the, in the community, getting to meet the business leaders. That's one thing that we're, we're missing as a additional lead source. Um, how do you network, uh, to, to your peers and to, uh, to your customers, uh, without that face-to-face -face component. And earlier you'd mentioned too, a lot of those folks are out of state that are looking at some of these properties. Um, what are some of the actual tactics you guys have had to implement just to showcase properties because obviously a really large empty warehouse is really hard to to make look really attractive and, and sexy without yeah. seeing the the ideas that are behind it so maybe share a little bit about how you guys are doing that so I, I have seen uh, some of our competitors uh, uh, do the the Matterport is that is that what it is Kelsey on the residential side um, yep. so the those tours of office buildings that way but in an industrial building or buildings that really aren't built out yet or retail centers that just don't have a whole lot of, of anything, um, you know, how do you effectively tour that space? How do you show it off? How do you go into a dark building that doesn't even have lights and then convey a message or, or share a vision? It's, it's pretty hard to do. So getting creative on that in either video, uh, 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 floor plans and, 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 finding a way to get more of those things integrated into your material uh, so that they don't have to come and see the experience. For sure. And Kelsey, have you seen anything differently in, in residential in terms of people wanting to do home tours virtually? What are, what are some of the ways you guys have had to overcome that? Yeah, I think having, none of my clients have actually like asked for the virtual tours, but on my listings, it's been really helpful to kind of send it and, you know, have that resource. Um, I think at the end of the day, the big sell for sellers is you don't, you probably have, you know, 30% of people going through your house because these are the people that are actually 
really interested and you kind of weed out, you know, that other 70% that is going to come through and see one thing they're not going to like that they wouldn't have seen a, in a picture, but a video will show them. And it just kind of helps to filter out those people that wouldn't be interested in the house. And I think that's especially important for just, you know, the, the nature of the market right now, when everyone's working at home, you know, I would say 80% of sellers are working at home and we're scheduling showings around when they don't have a call or a meeting. So if you can have probably 70% of that go away by having a video as a resource, I feel like that's a, a really easy sell for my sellers. Um, and the other thing that I've thought is really interesting is like, you know, a lot of these marketers, I know Ryan, you do video. And if anyone on here does video, I would just look at the opportunities to partner with a photographer um, because in real estate, we have really good relationships with the photographers. Like my photographer, I send a text and it literally would just say, you know, 6, 12 at 8 a.m. question mark and he'll say yes or no. And that's how we schedule photos. And just because in real estate, efficiency is so key because things move so quickly and schedules change on a dime. Um, so I think the big, the big kind of, I guess, nugget that I can give anyone that's a video marketer is get in good with the photographers because they're the one outsourcing all that work and business to the video. For sure. And they're selling it as like a package deal. I mean, that's the way that I got into video on anything was just, you know, do you want to add it on with photos for X amount more? For sure. Yeah. And are you seeing those, those home tours or any of those virtual tours, um, directly resulting in business or is that just people that are more inbound? It just gets more attention on, on the MLS and then also on social. I think that a general home tour is not giving me, um, leads unless it's me talking about the house. Like I think I actually need to be in the tour. It needs to be a five minute tour. That's basically more so in marketing. You know, I would tell my sellers, this is a marketing ploy for me as well to get business, but it, you know, I'm going to pay more for it. It's going to be more in depth. It's going to be a better quality video and you know, the whole shebang. And I think everyone knows that and everyone's going to be willing to allow that for them to have the really great home tour too. For sure. Yeah. And we, we just had a question come in from one of our live attendees here and they're asking, um, what would you say is the biggest takeaway from the real estate industry that marketers can use in other industries going forward? Maybe Dan, you want to start with this one? Ooh, um, I would say, uh, the, the thing that, that I do, uh, that's probably setting me apart is making sure that I know who my customer is and who those prospects are, who those leads are, and then, and then ultra focusing on them and giving them a personal experience. So it's good to have a, a video, but what, like what Kelsey was saying is I'm interjecting, I'm telling a story um, and, and kind of personalizing it in a, in a way. Um, in commercial real estate, we don't necessarily have to sell, sell to the heart, but we have to sell to the, to the brain. Uh, so uh, being able to um, uh, know our customers and, and directly focus on the details that uh, uh, are, are needing to be uh, shared is, is vitally important for any industry, uh, you know, going from sales to anybody else. I used to be a, a bartender, and uh, uh, I would tell you, I was still a salesman. You <laughs> <laughs> get that. Awesome. And then Kelsey, any, any input on that as well? I would say the biggest thing that I've realized is just 
I think sometimes I get very focused on what's the best thing, what do people want to hear, and like really over analyzing that. And at the end of the day, I have used all my marketing based on just like what questions are people asking me. And the biggest ones are always, you know, what do I need for a down payment? Do I need 20% down as a first time home buyer? Or, you know, when I'm selling my house, what does that process look like when I have a house to sell and I want to buy a house as well? And that's a very like loaded question, but it's, it's stuff that I think we reinvent the wheel and we make up a lot of just extra mumbo jumbo to look fancy but if you're answering someone's question and solving a problem for them at the end of the day I've just given up on having like a marketing strategy and I get that there should be like some sort of series or flow but I just have a bank of notes on my computer and if someone asks a question and I answer it you know copy paste throw it in there create a series out of that later because then you know you're answering you know real live questions and then as far as like the the COVID stuff and just the nature of the market right now, I think the biggest thing is just like being brutally honest. Um, I talked about all the, the pros of this market and how it's really good for everyone with interest rates and all these things. But then there's topics like mortgage forbearance that come up. And a lot of people don't understand that if your company gives you, you know, six months of mortgage forbearance, you might owe seven months of your mortgage payment at the end. You know, they're, they're thinking you're just skipping that. It's not just being compiled and you owe all seven months. So I've made, you know, notes to make videos on kind of the scary side of all this and just really educate people. I think the big thing for me is setting new expectations and education, even if it's not, you know, the great things to hear, if it's the scary stuff, because people need to know that if you're buying it's gonna be hard to get the house you want. And if you forego your mortgage, you're gonna to have to pay a lot in the end, you know? So just making people aware of timelines and all those factors as well. How, how, um, how do your websites um, come into play, if at all? So our website, uh, we, we have it integrated into our MLS system that allows people to see the properties that we have listed. Um, that is probably our biggest tool. And then uh, the other thing that we use it for is, is just uh, a way for them to know who our company is and, uh, and bios and, and ways to connect with the people that, that, uh, that we have on staff. Mine's about the same. Um, the Remax website is integrated with the, you know, the IDX and the MLS. And I think that's the biggest value is just putting your brand along with what everyone's searching for daily um, and just building credibility that way. And then my Cornerstone Collective site also has the IDX um, login and everything, but it's more so I have a lot of like action plans and systems and things built out where any step of the process, someone goes to a web page on my website just to build it's it's basically credibility. You know, I could have all that information in an email, but I think just building the credibility and sending someone to something that's yours. I'm curious, uh, some of these sites like Zillow, do you love them or hate them or? I think that Zillow is great for um, gathering quick info. If there's, you know, if you're wanting to see prior photos of a home that just got listed and doesn't have pictures, it's great to see like the layout and, you know, it might've changed quite a bit if that was from 2012 or something, but it's great to gather quick info. It's very user-friendly. Um, I don't mind if a, if a client pulls up something on Zillow. Um, but I do think people need to understand that the algorithms that they use to create values are inaccurate and it lags from the MLS. And I think as long as you 
you know, let your clients know if it's a, if it's a way to just kind of gain additional info, great, but take it all with a grain of salt and know that it's delayed and that it's probably not accurate if they're doing, you know, a mortgage calculator or um, a home valuation or things like that. You know, on, on the commercial side, Dan, you guys deal with, is it LoopNet? Maybe talk a little bit about LoopNet because yeah. I think it's probably a similar uh, situation. <laughs> well, uh, so now we are uh, able to use basically one system in the greater Des Moines area. There are some competitors, but they seem, seem to get uh, pushed out of business or shut down by the, the main person. Uh, so the, the commercial real estate uh, entity uh, is uh, CoStar. Uh, that's what feeds our website. That's what runs most of our, our listings. Um, and then LoopNet is a, is a paid service that customers can, can pay to see some of the stuff that we do. Um, or we can pay to show our listings up there. Um, it, it isn't as effective. Uh, one great tool that, that is out there for that um, is that anybody could see your property. But... Um, uh, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing. Uh, I'll, I'll share something that I saw. LoopNet came out and had a, had an email that said, Hey, uh, those that put videos on their LoopNet, uh, have, have, uh, a certain percentage of additional views than a typical, uh, other listing. And, uh, it was really funny because, uh, CoStar does not allow you to, uh, load up videos for, people to see. So they're in effect saying that their major tool isn't as effective as their, their lesser uh, little brother. So, uh, you know, I, I, I find uh, hypocrisy like that in, in our stone age type system a little bit interesting. So um, I utilize uh, things like uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, um, uh, all other social media uh, uh, opportunities, YouTube, uh, to uh, get our messages out there. Uh, and then uh, bring in some additional information if someone was to Google that, uh, that address or uh, try to find out more information. Dan, I have a question for you since this is, you know, marketers on here, because you're talking about this in the videos and things like that and how that's not super common in commercial. I know it's not in residential either. And I'm just thinking from, a, I was a marketing major in college as well and a marketing standpoint. I think that if you try to sell the videos as something that's going to sell the space, like for a house, I don't know that that's necessarily true. I've never sold a house off of a video that someone saw, but I do think that if you sell it to the realtor and you say, Hey, this is your way to build credibility in the Des Moines market as a realtor that knows their stuff. I think that's how you sell it, you know, and you kind of sell it as a way for the individual to build credibility because that's the only reason I've ever used video and then I do get leads just from people knowing me and trusting me. Correct. That's kind of the strategy that I have on social media as well. It's not to get out the properties. It's not to, to really highlight some of the stuff. Uh, uh, what I use my social media for uh, is to uh, lend credibility to my name, to my business and why I'm an expert that you might need. Uh, for uh, my videos of properties, um, I, I, I do them very, very specific to people. So um, I, will, I will find out what their, what their hot buttons are. I'll find out what, what their needs are. And I'll ultra-focus those things, personalize it, and then give it to them. And I have sold properties and, uh, and done uh, very well on, on videos that do that. Um, 
so uh, in my past, uh, I said that I was a bartender, but I was also a car salesman. <laughs> uh, believe that. Uh, but I, I, I ran the Scion uh, uh, department at Toyota and Scion of Des Moines, uh, which meant that I was trying to figure out how to market to a younger audience. How do you sell a car uh, to a younger audience uh, that uh, its parent company, Toyota, uh, was thought of as the beigeous thing on the market. So uh, I have a, a, an experience with, with uh, uh, being the marketing manager, uh, uh, head of, of the person to sell that brand uh, and, and, and how to do new things. And, and one of the things that we were uh, allowed to do was, was kind of play around in the sandbox with a ton of different things with a huge marketing budget and very little accountability on the ROI. Uh, every marketer's dream, right? Uh, <laughs> so, uh, uh, but I'll, I'll tell you, uh, I was also the um, internet sales manager at Toyota of Des Moines as well. And uh, one of the things that, that, that you can't get off of a, uh, a photo of a car is maybe some of the function and features that, that would really, you know, put the icing on the cake. Um, and uh, so I was able to sell uh, a car because someone said, I don't think it has, you know, I, I, I want to go with this other thing because it doesn't have this. And uh, I did a video, uh, shot it out in the parking lot, uh, said, it's got this feature. Uh, tell me what you think. And I got a text message back uh, saying, I'll take it. <laughs> uh, um, I also, in, in that world, I, I uh, uh, had people uh, playing around with technology, and I think someone had a bet with someone that they couldn't buy a car uh, uh, via text message. And someone started a, a text message conversation that came from our website. Uh, I responded with all the information, and oh, sorry about my camera, <laughs> technical difficulties. Uh, that's my wife and or my <laughs> without a hat. Uh, so, anyways, uh, uh, I was able to sell a car, uh, except for the signature that was legally bound by the state of Iowa that they needed to do. That's awesome. All on text messages. Uh, so that's so it's that's, finding different ways to kind of. Is that your next book, Dan? Marketing by text, sales by text messaging. Maybe it's, it's meeting your customers where they want to be met. I think Kelsey uh, hinted on that. You know, uh, I always think to myself, who am I contacting? Um, and then, and then I, I do make some assumptions, uh, you know, right off the get-go. Uh, one assumption is if they text me, I text them back. <laughs> I don't call them back. If, if they call me, I call them back. If, if, if that's my last thing on, on our cell phones, It'll tell you your most recent conversation. Uh, so that's the one that you go with. If they emailed you last, you email them back. Um, but it's, it's, it's being able to work in all of those, those different uh, entities and being comfortable uh, and, then, and then meeting your customer where they want to be met. That's very good. Do either so, of you think that with the, the whole COVID thing and the work from home that that's going to change your respective businesses? Does it change how the features that people want in a residence? Does it change the size of commercial property? Do you think? We can start with you, Kelsey, if you, if you want. <laughs> Does what change what they're wanting? Sorry, I missed the very first part of that. 
So with, with the COVID work from home, um, mm -hmm. do you think that's going to change what features people are looking for in the, in a home or in a business? And yeah. I think that there's always been a preference for offices and things in a house, but I think it's the first thing to get dropped off a list. You know, I think most people, even in this market, you know, most people want their home. It's kind of like the keeping up with the Joneses thing. Most people want their home to, they walk in and they think, can I entertain my friends here? Am I going to be proud of the facade? Are people going to drive up to this neighborhood and think we made it? Like I literally had clients say that the other day and I thought it was so cute because it's so true. I mean, you're looking at what is the perception people are going to have when they come to your home, are they going to be entertained? Are they going to have fun? And I think, yes, this is a weird phase and people would love to have an office, but they're gonna forgo that to have the entertaining spaces in the big kitchen and the theater room and the patio and all the other things first. Unless their job, you know, unless their job always is going to designate them to work from home, which at that point, COVID is not going to affect it. That's always gonna be a top of their list item if so. Yeah, on commercial, Mark, I don't think that you could do your job anywhere else based on the background that I'm seeing. <laughs> so I, I do see that, that some industries will not change, uh, will have to adapt. Um, industrial warehouse, you know, they, they actually might shrink in size. Uh, they might have to get leaner and meaner um, uh, just because the absolute uh, uh, dominance of uh, online retail that's happening right now, I think, I think they might actually shrink. But uh, we were talking before uh, this and we talked about offices. Um, in 2008 and nine, when a lot of people transferred from their house to their home, there was a, uh, a longing and yearning and constant drumbeat of, I wanna get back into the office, I wanna get back to the office. And I think, I think people genuinely do wanna do that at some point. And, and, and it's when we feel comfortable in doing that. One thing that landlords or companies will have to do is, is provide a safe space for them to feel comfortable to come in. Um, we used to do four-foot hallways uh, as a minimum standard for, for office buildings for ADA concerns. But uh, maybe in the future, we're going to be doing eight-foot hallways uh, so that there is a buffer zone between you and the other person walking down the hallway. Uh, we might see things like drinking fountains in your offices converted to hand washing stations. Uh, we might see, uh, you know, these, you know, it's all been about collision points uh, has been a, a big uh, 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 key word with offices in the last little bit. And we're, we're going to see the elimination of those collision points that don't need to exist. Mm. So we used to want to have all of our off, uh, all of our uh, employees kind of congregate and do things together and, and, and collide with other people that they didn't necessarily need to do. And that was highly encouraged with a lot of the floor plans that have been uh, uh, designed over the last little bit. And I think we're going we're gonna to take an approach that's going to probably be, be a whole lot different. In retail, it's all about being experiential. Experiential has been the key word for retail. That means going out and, and seeing a movie. That means going out and, and uh, doing something that inter involves large crowds or uh, you know, open areas where uh, you know, people congregate and do things. 
you know, I think, I think we're going to, we're going to see a, a shift in that. And it'll be interesting to see what, what retailers are able to do within those spaces that uh, make people feel safe. Um, everything in commercial is about uh, uh, consumer confidence. You know, consumer confidence is, is the bearing tool on that. Um, restaurants, uh, that's something that I, I do heavily uh, interact with. And what, what we're seeing with restaurants is, is really, really, really stressful. Um, uh, they are going to have to adapt in, in, in very new ways. Uh, and and uh, uh, I think uh, one of the stats that I hear and, and kind of do think we will see is that 20% of all restaurants will not reopen. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that, that's kind of, kind of scary for a lot of communities. Um, uh, think of your neighborhood re, uh, restaurant tour and, uh, and, 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 uh, and think that they not, might not be open if we don't do some uh, ordering out right now or catering for our, our employees that are at home or uh, doing something like that. Uh, uh, think about doing some of that for them. Uh, but I think for, for the restaurant tours, the, the floor plan for them are going to shrink. Um, the, the key word right now is drive through, drive through, drive through, drive through, mm. drive up window, uh, online orders, uh, apps to be able to facilitate those orders, uh, being more effective with that. Uh, pickup counters um, are great, but, but drive throughs are going to be the key word. Uh, we've already heard from uh, national restaurants uh, that their quick service is going to be highly dedicated to drive through only. If you don't have a drive through, you're not going to be able to do that. Um, and uh, so office, retail, industrial, you know, we're going to see some changes. Uh, but I think, I think a lot of that is going to be dictated by either the safety of, of your employees or the safety of your consumers. Wow. Interesting. Wow. Yeah, it is. Very interesting. So the challenge for a restaurant with a drive-through is maybe who can create the best drive-through and meal at home experience mm-hmm. instead of the in the restaurant experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, so uh, I was at a, a panel in Las Vegas uh, for the uh, biggest uh, real estate convention that was canceled this year. But uh, uh, in one of the panels uh, two years ago, uh, the largest restaurant tour in the world uh, had had just committed to uh, doing takeout orders. Uh, before that, they had never done takeout. So uh, I'm glad that they did that two years ago because now uh, they actually are in a position to be able to do what they yeah. they did. Uh, we, we've seen major restaurants uh, just close up because there was no way to do what they did or they didn't feel comfortable. Some chefs don't feel comfortable uh, preparing a meal, putting it in a to-go container only to have a bad experience when you get home. Dan, I was wondering on that, when you are mentioning these, like I went to parking lots in my head, you know, if we're increasing office space, increasing hallways by doubling them, you know, and what's happening? Are you getting rid of parking spaces in new plans because less people will be staying at a certain place for a certain amount of time? Like, and we could dive into so many different things here, but like, I guess my main question is what is like 
the resources or the experts that you're looking to to kind of make those decisions and how long because I mean you're talking about building a building for basically social distancing practices mm-hmm. and I guess I just wonder like who's making the call that that's the right decision to be made and why are they thinking it's going to need to be made for there for a hundred years you know we've actually already started looking that in the commercial world and it's and it's a it's a budding factor between (laughs) what the city requires because right now it's it's all driven by what the city uh states that you need to have so with a retail building office building or industrial building there's a dedicated amount of parking stalls that need to be there for the use Mm -hmm. so that's why you don't see a, a shopping center that's all restaurants because it, uh, you'd have to, you know, almost quadruple uh, your parking stalls to make that happen for city code. Um, but before all of this happened, we were already addressing that for what was what was coming on board, which is the uh, driverless cars. Um, driverless cars, you know, how do we uh, how do we envision that as a futurist right now to say, will that be a better thing in the future? You know, will they be able to possibly uh, create aerosols within the car that after you get dropped off, it, an interior spray happens, voila, man, I should patent that. Um, <laughs> is there a patent lawyer on here for me right now? Um, but, uh, you know, an interior experience without a driver actually might be a little bit more advantageous because right now we're thinking of another person being in that car with us. So I actually might err on the side that 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 might be a bigger thing to come faster. Uh, uh, automation is 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 already a keyword for, but I think I think uh, we might see uh, driverless cars become uh, an increased commodity, uh, and then and then things like parking lots will then decrease because of that. Interesting. Uh, I'm curious uh, from a marketing and sales standpoint, um, what is your biggest challenge? If you would say, you know, this is my, the biggest pain in the rear that I have, what would that be? I'll start with, with that. And I'm sorry. I'm, uh, but I would say chasing shiny objects. Mm. So, what what is what is that that new chasing shiny object, and and then maybe what is the 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 life scale of of what that is and how relevant can it be in in the future, um, you know uh, I'd love to to get into drones, but as we saw in your last webinar, it takes a lot of money, lots of lot of time, lots of stuff. I'm going to pay somebody to do that. So. If I if I need that, I know now that I'm gonna I'm gonna pay somebody to do that. Um, uh, knowing who who to pay for those things uh, uh, and then who not to uh, uh, another thing. Uh, but uh, uh, I would say, you know, we can we can we can do things that are cool and shiny, but are they relevant in in what we need to do? I would say for me, it's um, choosing what to digitize and Mm -hmm. systems. I am at a point in my business where 
I have too much to handle most days and that's a really beautiful place to be and I'm very thankful for it. But I think I just am the person that I'm very, um, I like to micromanage. I like to have my personal touch on everything and with hiring team members and outsourcing and trying to systematize everything and kind of streamline things, my biggest um, kind of sticking point um, is just what is too much to digitize. You know, I could do buyer consultations and have that one hour thing recorded and done. And there's some buyers, probably 30% of my buyers, if not 50% would love that, but I haven't done it because it doesn't feel right to me. You know what I mean? So there's a lot that I need to do to digitize because I've just got no point where I'm only one person and you know, you can only train team members to do how you want them to do things so much. So that's mine. Well, it sounds like you both are experimenting. Mm -hmm. For sure. For sure. Yeah, and it looks like we're, we're coming up on time. I had, I had one last question for you guys. If you guys have anything in the chat, feel free to drop it in here. We'll make sure we get it to them before we, we close out here. But um, I wanted to kind of close on brand because I think that's such a powerful thing right now, especially with your guys' industry. Um, like you said, just being top of mind is super important. But you also have your personal brand. You have your company's brand. And in some cases, if you're working with a real estate company, you have that brand as well. So maybe share a little bit with how you guys are going about building a brand that's top of mind and something that obviously is a testament to being on the webinar here because we had to come up with a commercial uh, real estate expert and a residential one. And you guys are somebody that we thought of right away. So that just kind of speaks to your branding. So maybe, Dan, do you want to start here and maybe talk about some of those things and how, how someone can build a brand with also their personal brand and working for a company as well. It was the hat, right? Sure. Sure. <laughs> Actually it, it is something intentional that I do uh, is wear a hat everywhere I go so that people remember me uh, because it's something that a whole lot of people don't do. Um, now I, I I'll, I'll share a secret. I don't have much hair cause I have two daughters. <laughs> Uh, but uh, uh, it saves my head, uh, but it also makes me more memorable uh, out there. I, I, think, I, I think relevancy is a, is a huge thing that we need to talk about in, in, in how do you stay relevant. Um, you know, just being behind the curtains is, is, is nice, but if you're relevant, if, if, if you're front of mind, uh, people will reach out to you and, and trust you as an expert if that's what they know you to be. Awesome. I would say for branding for me, I'm very specific about where I share things and kind of segmenting things. I represent a builder. That stuff all goes on a separate community page because it's hard for people to see me as, you know, the builder's realtor and Kelsey with Remax and the Cornerstone Collective. And so the Cornerstone Collective is what is tagged and branded with everything I do um, online because I want people to recognize that company brand name and my team and trust us as the experts. If you are selling your house, it's a Remax sign going in your yard just strictly because there is so much recognition and there's millions, if not billions of dollars behind that brand. Um, so, I mean, I'm actually really, really specific when I meet with clients that, you know, this is the company name, which is the Cornerstone Collective, because that's what brings leads to me, um, because people associate me and the personal brand with that. If it's in your yard, it's Remax, because we're pulling in really cold people, and we want that warmth of the Remax brand. 
And then if it's anything else that's kind of auxiliary, you know, the builders, the things like that, those are separate. And that goes with the Remax because that's, you know, no one's going to pull up to a builder that does, you know, 500 houses a year and know what the Cornerstone Collective is. That's a very cold lead to me. So it's just positioning the right logo and the right branding in the, in the spot that it needs to be based on the intention that you have. Um, and then I'm just really specific about uh, in my marketing and everything. I am very much an analytical person. There's a lot of numbers. There's a lot of this is the payment. You know, I think I probably should have been in commercial some days because I love looking at cash flows and, you know, ROI and everything. But I think that's one of the things that kind of differentiates me on the residential side is I am, I'm sassy and fun and I have personality that will help sell your house. But I also really care about the numbers and we'll put that into my marketing. So I think it's just knowing kind of what your brand voice is and not being afraid to add some humor and to add some of the, you know, quirks that are your personality because people connect so strongly with you as the realtor on the real, the residential side. Mm -hmm. And I think it's great that uh, we, we define fine lines. I was looking at some of your social media there, Kelsey, and uh, you might, you might aggravate your, your 4,200 Facebook friends, uh, if you're always posting about real estate on your personal page. So something that I, I see that you do and I do is we, uh, we both have a separate work page that people can follow. Um, and, and, you know, for me on commercial, uh, mine is more business to business. The customer pool is a whole lot finer. Um, not everyone needs to, to get what I sell. So, you know, I, I do intentionally put the things on LinkedIn that should be on LinkedIn, the things that should be on Facebook, uh, 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 on my, my, my page. Uh, and then, and then also ways to, uh, uh, also highlight the things that, that, uh, my, my greater brand, Denny Alwalt company, uh, is doing as well. Yeah, I completely agree. I think the only thing I would add is just the idea of storytelling. Um, I think that's huge in branding with everything and, I mean, I'm a big, big fan of like educating, even if it hurts, you know, and storytelling, because I know the best leads that I get are when I tell the story of, you know, this military couple that moved here from California and just really dig into like what their story is, you know, did we struggle to find them a house? What it, was it six months long of looking? Because people, people connect with those stories. If there's a nugget they can connect with, I feel like that's the best way to market. Yeah. And you're setting great expectations too. Is there, do you use that in, in selling of houses too? Is there a story about the house that makes it more appealing? Yeah, yeah. I have every seller write um, just, you know, an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper of what intrigued them to the house initially, why they bought it, why they love the neighborhood, what park they go to, you know, just tell a story of like what their last 12 years have been here or, you know, if they've only been there a year, I have a guy that's listing on Monday that he's been in a house a year, which is normally scary for buyers because it's like, well, what's wrong with it? Why are you leaving? Mm -hmm. um, he's military as well. He's getting contracted to um, a new job in Texas. So tell that story. Tell about your job. Tell about, you know, why you're moving, why you liked it while you were here. And I think, you know, why you're looking to move on to something different and what that's going to look like for your family. People just, I mean, Dan, you said it really well when you said you have to appeal to the emotions or appeal to the heart in real estate. Every buyer that I have writes a letter to the seller about why they would really love the house. And we've done that in commercial too. I had a girl get a fourplex last year where her offer was $10,000 less than the, the other offer that came in. And they took her, hers because 
It was in Sherman Hill. It was a historical area. The guy that was selling it like loved historic preservation. So did she. So she wrote, I mean, like three pages about just why she loves that area. And I mean, why would you not take that offer? You know, it's the pride in knowing that this investment that you loved, you know, can go to someone that's going to take care of it as well. Yeah. Uh, in, in our world, we have uh, letters of intent that, uh, that really go towards, you know, finding the, the nooks and crannies of, of things um, and usually dives deep into the analytics. One thing that I've, I've really started to do in the retail world is try and tell a story. Um, it paints a picture for the landlord of, of who I'm representing out in that market to say, this is their product. This is who they will attract to the center. Here's what they, they do. Here's what they've done. And, and honestly, we have gotten uh, uh, deals done with maybe a lesser experience, lesser capitalized or, or lesser uh, per square foot uh, because they liked who that was. Um, and they liked the brand that, that I was selling to them. So, uh, yeah, I would, I would reiterate the story is very powerful in, in a lot of uh, instances. And then also assumptions, Qu quenching assumptions and, and, and swatting them down as fast as you can uh, is or, always uh, beneficial to anyone marketing because a lot of people will assume the worst or assume the wrong thing rather than ask the right question. Good point. Absolutely. I think it's just knowing your client too, because I also have clients that, you know, I call them, they own a bunch of investment properties and they want to know what's my cap rate and that's all they care about. And <laughs> I mean, I'm sure Dan, that's the most of your, the majority of your clientele is kind of the brain side of things too, but just knowing your client. Yeah. What's the traffic count? No, what's my frontage? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah. And, and, and answering the questions that they ask. I mean, that that's the most powerful. That's the hottest lead. That's the most beneficial thing that you can do. Um, but also uh, framing a story on top of that can always, always help. Hmm. That's awesome. Okay. Well, I think we're coming up on time here. Um, like I said, thanks again so much, you guys for, for coming on the webinar. It's been super helpful and insightful. And uh, I think there's a lot of things that marketers can take from this conversation and see how they can apply it to be, you know, a better, a better representation of their brand and get in front of the right people when they need to be. So um, thanks again, guys. Thanks everybody who's yeah. attending. Thanks, Jordan, Thank Mark, Shannon, Kelsey, Dan, everybody. Thank you, Kelsey. Thank you, Dan. <laughs> Thank Have a you. Wonderful weekend. Thanks guys.